Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. So this morning, we are continuing on in our series on the book of Galatians. Uh, We're still kind of in the intro. We're in verses 11 through 24 this morning. And the interesting thing about Galatians, if you've read Galatians before, um, it's, it's a book that's a little bit different than his other letters that he's written. Uh, he uses a stronger tone with the Galatians. It's a serious tone. And he doesn't hide the fact that he is surprised, astonished, he's, he's confused by them, specifically how quickly they turned away from the gospel. And this is why he's writing this letter. Uh, he's, he's astonished. What is going on in the Galatian churches He heard about these false teachers that have come and and turned them away from the true gospel, and they're preaching or teaching a counterfeit gospel. So Paul is taking this with the utmost seriousness because getting the gospel right is a matter of eternal importance. Eternity is at stake. He sees this with the Galatian church. And he understands that there is only one way we can be saved from sin and death, and that is by putting our faith in the person and the work of Jesus. He understands that that is the gospel, and the Galatian church is turning away from that. So basically, when you read the book of Galatians, this is basically the overall message. He's basically saying to them, return to the gospel so that you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. Return to the gospel so you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. And Paul understands this personally. And so today we're going to read about how he was transformed by the power of the gospel, how he was converted, and how God gave him the calling to preach the message of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to go through this morning. Before I read the passage, though, let me give you a quick review of what we've covered so far, and we've only covered 10 verses. So in the first five verses of Paul's letter, he gives some clues about what he's going to talk about, uh, what he's going to cover in the rest of his letter. And he gives his usual introduction, but in that introduction, he he adds a few things to kind of give us clues about what he's going to talk about. So First, uh, he mentions his apostleship and that his apostleship was given to him not by man, but by God. And then he continues on, and in his greeting, he claims these three things. He says, number one, that Jesus gave himself for our sins. This is the gospel, right? He gave himself for our sins. Number two, that he delivered us from this present evil age. And number three, 
that this was God's plan. It was God's plan all along. This was according to his will. This is how he planned to bring about salvation. Only through Jesus, him crucified for our sins, that we may be free from sin in this evil age. Now, after Paul's introduction, he doesn't turn to thanksgiving. That's what he usually does in his letters. After the intro, he he thanks God for the churches that he's writing to. He doesn't do that with the Galatians. There's no gratitude in this letter. Instead, in verses 6 through 10, he jumps right into the issue with them. Paul tells them that they have quickly turned away from the gospel to a false gospel, and he finds this so disturbing that he declares that anyone who preaches a false gospel, they are to be accursed. In other words, they are to be utterly destroyed. Let them be accursed. That's his claim, or that's what he's declaring anyone who's preaching a false gospel. So he gets straight to the point, and he's using some very strong language. And I think it's to get the Galatians' attention. And it's because eternity is on the line. Eternity is on the line. So in Paul's intro, he gives some clues. Then he immediately addresses the problem of them turning away from the gospel. And now, in our passage this morning, he will argue for why the gospel that he initially preached to them is the only true gospel. Okay, so he states the problem, what's going, what's, what's wrong, and now he's going to argue why his gospel that he initially preached to them is the one true gospel. And, and basically, we, I've broken this down. You could do this in various ways, but I decided to break this argument down in four sections, okay? Why is Paul's gospel the one true gospel? It is because the gospel was revealed to Paul through Jesus. Number two, that Paul was chosen by God before he was even born to preach this gospel, okay? Number three, Paul was not taught the gospel by anyone but Christ alone, And number four, Paul's miraculous conversion affirms the gospel he preaches is the one true gospel. Paul's miraculous conversion affirms the gospel he preaches. So with that, let's read Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. Follow along. I'll read it to you. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. 
nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other, other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and as I was still, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and I ask, Lord, that you would speak through your word with the spirit move, that we may hear from you, be encouraged, be challenged, and learn how you work through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, we are talking about Paul's arguments for this one true gospel. He, he's preached to the Galatian church. This is the one true gospel, not this. This is the false gospel. So he's breaking, uh, we're breaking this argument down into four sections. The first one, the gospel was revealed to Paul through Jesus, not by anyone else. So verses 11 and 12, for I would have you know, brothers, he wants them to know something. This is what I want you to know, that the gospel that was preached by me is not from man, is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man. It wasn't given to me, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we need to contemplate how significant this is, that he's claiming, I received this message from Jesus. This is the same Jesus who turned water into wine, who healed the sick, who casted out demons, and raised the dead. Same one. It's the same Jesus who asked his disciples at one point, who do you think I am? Remember, Peter responds back, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, you got it. That was revealed to you by God. That's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus who states in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. That's the message he preached. Jesus preached that message. He is the son that was given for us for eternal life. And it's the same Jesus who was later arrested and crucified and buried and then three days later rose again. At least for, in Paul's perspective, it was claimed that he rose again. These Christians are going around claiming that Jesus rose again and it, and it means something. Peter's like, or Paul's like, pfft. Yeah, right. However, this is the very same Jesus who reveals himself to Paul and gave him the gospel message. At some point, Paul encounters 
the risen Christ. And it's not just that he saw Jesus, but that Jesus had given him the gospel message so that he would then preach it to Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So part of Paul's conversion story involves a man named Ananias. See, what takes place is Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus blinds him by this light and speaks to him. Paul <clears throat> um, he, he calls out to him, Paul, Paul. Paul's like, who are you, Lord? And he responds back, I am Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. There's Jesus revealing himself. Okay, blinds him, and he says, the direction you're going, that's not where you're going anymore. You're, you're going over here. You're going over to this town, and you're going to meet a man, and, and he's got a message for you. And so, Three days he's blind, and at that time, God speaks to Ananias and says, listen, you are to go to Paul, this man named Paul. He's in this town. He's at this place. You need to meet him, um, heal him from blindness, but you're also going to give him a message, and this is the message. This is Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. He is a chosen instrument. Who chose him? God. He's a chosen instrument. Well, Jesus, who is God, he is a chosen instrument of mine. He is mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of of my name. Listen, this is, this is my instrument, and it's for this purpose. What is the purpose of Paul? To carry out his message, the gospel message to the Gentiles. So Jesus revealed himself to Paul, not just to stop him from persecuting the church, because that's what he was doing. He was persecuting the church. And he's not saying, hey, Paul, um, I'm Jesus. Can you just stop? Okay. No. It's, you're going to stop, and now you're going to be an instrument for my name. So he establishes Paul as an apostle for his name. An apostle. You see, that word apostle, it can mean a lot of kind of various things. We use it in various ways today, describing um, the 12 apostles. But that the word literally means called out one or sent out one. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with Paul. He's sending him out. That's why Paul says at the very beginning of this letter, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, not by man, right? I'm not an apostle through man or by man. They didn't call me to be an apostle. It was by God through Jesus that I am an apostle of his. That's what he's referring to here. And when you look at the book of Acts, if you read through the book of Acts, starting in chapter 9, when he is called as an apostle, you see that he lives this out. He goes around, he travels around to these towns, and he starts preaching the gospel. He preaches it to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and eventually he'll end up preaching it, having to preach it to kings when he's arrested. He has to go before all these uh, magistrates and kings and lords, 
He preaches the gospel to them as well. So he fulfills his calling. So this is the first argument. The gospel was revealed to Paul through Jesus. The same Jesus that he went through this ministry, did all these miracles, who was crucified, who was buried, and then supposedly raised again. Paul encounters him. Whoa, he did rise from the grave. He did rise from the grave. Paul knew it because he saw Jesus. He saw the risen Christ. So that's not his first argument. Here's number two. Paul was chosen by God before he was even born. This is very interesting because if you, if you read this, we talked about this in um, our class, our scripture discovery class. Uh, these verses, verses 13 and 14, are a little confusing. And it, can, it continues on through 17. But they're a little confusing because they're very, it's a really long sentence. So what he does is he kind of he goes, it seems like he goes a different direction. He's, he's making a side note, but it, it applies. He's giving us some detail. Here's the detail. This is verses 13 and 14. He's, this argument here, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God, violently, violently tried to persecute the church of God and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among the people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. So in these verses, Paul is describing how extreme his conversion was, right? He was going in the strong direction. He was relentless. He was an enemy of Jesus and his followers. So we see this back in Acts 6 and 7 with the stoning of Stephen. If, if you go back there, this story, Stephen is, is going around. He's a disciple of Jesus, and he's preaching the gospel. He's going into synagogues and preaching and going into the temple and preaching. And um, at one point, these priests who, who are uh, zealous for the law as well, um, they start arguing and debating with Stephen. And the scripture says that they could not um, compare to the wisdom of Stephen. Like Stephen is like putting them in a full Nelson in a wrestling move, uh, when it comes to debating with them. Um, and so they get upset with Stephen because of this. And they, so they start spreading lies. They say that Stephen is speaking out against the holy temple and the laws of Moses. And with this false accusation, they end up stoning Stephen to death. So they, they wile up the people. Okay, they, they spread lies, and the people get so upset that they stone Stephen to, that, to death. So guess who was there approving it all? Guess who was there among the people and hearing all this and getting stirred up with them? It was Paul. Paul was there, and it says that he was holding the cloaks as the people were stoning Stephen. So Paul is there going, oh, hey, let me, let me hold that for you so that you can pick up rocks and destroy this man. Let me help you out. 
And so he's holding all the cloaks of people so that they, they can get ready. They can really, really throw a stone. Okay, so Paul is there approving all of this. Later, Paul begins to ravage the church, it says, by entering homes and dragging them off, both men and women. He's, he's dragging them off and throwing them in prison. And this is how passionate he was about the temple and the law of Moses. He was so zealous, it says in our passage, that he wanted to go out and, and uh, the message that he was hearing was threatening the temple and, Mo- and the law of Moses. He was so zealous. He's like, we need to destroy this. We need to stamp it out now. And he was willing to be violent over it, it says in our passage. However, when we look at verse 15, we see a wonderful word that expresses God's sovereign work of salvation. It's a word that reminds us that no demonic forces, no human power, no force of nature can resist God's will. It's a very short word, starting in verse 15. But, however, in contrast, this is what happens. So basically Paul's saying, listen, I was so focused on destroying the church. I hated the church. I was an enemy of Jesus. This is the direction that I'm going. But what happens when he who had set me apart before I was even born and who called me by his grace was, re- was pleased to what? To reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles. So here's the direction I'm going. All of a sudden, bam, God the Father reveals his son to me. Boom, Paul turns a 180. He turns a 180. This is the direction that I was going. I was destroying the church. Now guess what? He's called to build it. He's going to put Christians and followers of Jesus into prison, now he's willing to go to prison for the message of the gospel. Paul turns a complete 180, and it was not by his own, this was not his idea. This was not his future plans for himself, right? Paul, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years? Paul was thinking, I'm, I'm going to be raised up as a Pharisee. I'm going to be prominent. Uh, I'll probably have uh, fame and fortune, right? Nope. He goes another direction. And it's God. God is the one that's doing it. You see, when Paul traveled on the road to Damascus, Jesus stopped him in his tracks and dropped Paul to his knees. He revealed himself to Paul, confronted him, and redirected Paul on a different path. And this was, as we see from this passage, this was God's plan all along. And therefore, since it was God's plan all along, it could never be thwarted by any other agent, including Paul himself. Think about this. Paul says that he violently went after the church. He wasn't just impartial when it came to Jesus. He had some strong opinions about Jesus. Paul was his adversary. He was an enemy. 
and that made him the most unlikely convert. When you looked at Paul, you're like, there's no way. There's no way. You can't change this man's mind. You see, Paul realizes, and he states here, that only God could change his heart. Only God could remove, only God can remove a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Only God can make an enemy his friend. Paul's conversion was an act of God alone. He did not see it coming. And it, literally, he did not see it coming. In his conversion, he struck blind for three days. And Paul knew he had no other choice but to relinquish control, bow his knee, and surrender, surrender his will to Jesus. That's exactly what happens. It's through the power and work of Jesus, the risen Christ. Friends, here's the point. Conversion, salvation, is not dependent on us. You can be the most stubborn, resistant, critical, rebellious person towards Jesus and Christianity, and with one divine encounter, God can turn it all around. Amen? That is the power of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, Paul says this. He's writing to the church in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So Paul's even going farther back. It's not even before I was born. It's before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He converted, he changed our path. He, when, when, when we were once enemies, he changed us to be children of him. Adoption is the word he uses here. Do you realize if you have put your faith in Jesus and you are now a child of God, do you realize it did not come about from your own good decisions or your own good-natured heart, but your life of salvation was planned before you were even born. Do you realize that? That God grabbed a hold of you, his plan to grab a hold of you, to make you his own. That was planned before you were even born. So here's the thing, though. After Paul argues that he was chosen to preach the gospel before he was even born, he then makes his third argument. Okay, so now here's his third argument. Paul was not taught the gospel by anyone but Jesus. That's what he's trying to point out here. This is verses 16, half of 16 through 21. So we kind of went on this side trail about Paul being called before he was even born, okay, to not only be converted to be a Christian, but also to preach the gospel, okay? Through Je by Jesus, he was called. But now he's saying, and listen, I did not receive this gospel by anyone else. So now he's going to make this argument. Starting in verse 16, half of 16, basically it says this, but when he revealed his son to me, okay, he revealed his son to me, 
I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. If you're underlining what I'm underlining, uh, you might want to underline apostles as well, okay? He's saying, I did not go to them. I did not go to anyone, not even to the apostles, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So remember why Paul is giving these details. He's arguing for the authenticity of the gospel message he originally preached to the, to the Galatians, okay? The authentic gospel, the one true gospel. And what he's saying here is, listen, when I was converted, when Jesus revealed himself to me, and when he sent me or called me to, to preach his message, I didn't search for that message through anyone or by anyone, not even to the apostles. I went over here. I went this direction. I went to these places. Okay? So think about the contrast between the 12 apostles and Paul. Okay? Paul's calling himself an apostle, but then there's the 12 apostles. And the 12 apostles, they walked with Jesus throughout his whole entire ministry. So they experienced Jesus doing his miracles. They experienced the teaching of Jesus. They experienced his death. They experienced his resurrection. So they saw the risen Christ. And after the risen Christ, after he was raised from the dead, Jesus even taught them more about the gospel. And this is what he tells them. This is Luke chapter 24 verses 44 through 48. This is Jesus. He says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is before he was risen from the grave. He taught them that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's saying, hey, listen, what you heard about in the Old Testament, it's going to happen. This is going to happen. And then it happened. So now Jesus is saying, look, you see how it happened? Verse 45, then this is what Jesus does. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And here's, this is really important. Repentance, that, the, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What I have done and what I have taught, you are witnesses. This is the message. Now go out and preach that message. Be my witnesses. Okay? So that's the 12 apostles. Now, you see, way before, this, this happens way before Paul enters the picture. Jesus revealed the good news of the gospel to the apostles, and he opened their minds. And so here's the thing. Paul was also given this understanding of the gospel. He understood that the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and that it's only through him that one can be saved. So he gave the message to the apostles, gave the message to Paul, and Paul's saying, listen, I didn't engage with them. Same message. So I think this is what Paul is doing. Okay, so uh, confession time. A little bit of confession. I love like true crime stories. I'm fascinated by them. I love like the mysteries, the kind of the mystery of the whodunit and stuff like that. So one of the things that I learned by, 
by listening to these stories is, you know, when there's a crime that takes place and there's witnesses to the crime, uh, law enforcement will take those witnesses and they'll separate them instantly. Separate them or immediately separate them because they don't want the witnesses to be able to interact with one another and maybe get their story straight, right? So they want to hear each individual's account and each individual's perspective. And, and this is what's interesting about it is the witnesses um, will tell the story and um, law enforcement can tell and if they collaborated beforehand or not. If there was kind of, because they can um, identify when they start telling the story and they're using the same exact words or phrases, right? They're like, okay, wait a minute. Why are they using these same phrases all throughout? Well, they must have talked beforehand, right? Okay. On the other hand, if they're sharing, you know, um, speaking to the witnesses and they're giving their own perspective, using the same words, but describing the same things, so wait a minute, did I say that right? Using their own words, using different words, but describing the same thing that can be reliable, right? They're describing the same exact thing using their own words. So that means that these witnesses, they must have saw the same thing. They must have experienced the same thing. And I think that's what's exactly what's, and so you can rely on that testimony then, Right? And I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to describe here. I think that's what he's trying to, hey, listen, the apostles, they're preaching this message. And all of a sudden, here's me, an enemy of that. And I'm now preaching this message. I didn't get it from them. I didn't consult with them about it. It had to come from Jesus himself. And I think that's the point. Here's the thing. This is, this is what he says in, in Acts. Okay, this is Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 21. This is after Ananias um, reveals to him his calling. This is when he is healed from his blindness. So it's right after his conversion. Verse 20, and immediately Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving, proving that Jesus was the Christ. That word Christ is, is the Greek word for Messiah which is our word for Savior, that Jesus is the Savior. This is what he's arguing immediately after his encounter with Jesus. He didn't take a side trip and, and learn these things and were convinced by these things by, by the apostles or anyone else. Boom, encounters Jesus, boom, starts preaching the gospel. That's what he's trying to describe here. All right. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So three years, three years gap here. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and, and Cilicia. And what Paul is trying to emphasize is that his calling and message was not given to him or influenced by any of the apostles. He's been, he's been doing this. He's been preaching this message and ministering for three years before he encounters them. And then when he does encounter them, it's only Peter and it's for 15 days. He runs into James too. But it's only for a short time. I think that's what he's describing here. Hey, listen, I was given this message before. It wasn't influenced by the apostles. I've always been preaching this message. I've only encountered them for a short time. This is what he's saying. And again, it's to point out that his message is the one true gospel because it came straight from the source. All right, so the gospel was revealed to Paul through Jesus. It's one of his arguments. Number two, Paul was chosen by God before he was even born to preach this message. Number three, Paul was not taught the gospel by anyone but Jesus himself. And number four, here's the last one, Paul's miraculous conversion affirms the gospel he preaches. So Galatians verses 22 through 24, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. You see, even if the Galatians were skeptical and questioning how Paul received the gospel, they couldn't question the dramatic 180 that, he, that Paul had. How, it, how he changed his life. He was known as a zealous persecutor of the church. Believers all over Judea were afraid of this man. And out of nowhere, he not only stops perse persecuting the church, but he is now part of the church. So how in the world could this happen, this dramatic change? For the churches in Judea, there is no, there's only one answer. For the, the people in Judea, there's only one answer. It had to be a divine encounter with Jesus himself. It had to be from God. And so they understood. So basically Paul is saying, listen, this is what happened. It was by God that this happened, this conversion and my calling. And those who just even heard of me and that miraculous transformation, they know that that must be from God too. So let me ask you this. When it comes to the power of the gospel and what Jesus can do through the power of of the gospel. It makes me wonder, if Jesus could change a zealous persecutor of the church like Paul, I think he can change the hardest of hearts today. So these uh, prayer requests that are up on the walls, they're still up there. And I know uh, the ones up at Sawyer as well, there's, there's quite a few that are asking for family members and friends come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. There's people in our lives that we're praying for that they may know Christ and the gospel he brings. 
Do you believe that God could do the work? Do you believe that God can change those hearts? He can. We need to be praying that he would do that work. You see, no one is too far from God. If he can change the heart of Paul, he can change the heart of anyone. And it's because the gospel, the gospel that we know today, the gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians, it came from God. The gospel was revealed to him through Jesus. Paul was chosen before, uh, by God before he was even born to preach this message. He was not taught the gospel by anyone but Christ, and his miraculous conversion affirms the gospel he preaches is the one true gospel. Let me close by, by some reflection here. And you know what, this, this actually, if the um, worship team wants to come up, this is what we'll close with. Um, how about this? Worship team, come on, come on up. Um, let me close in prayer. And then during our time of reflection, I think I'll give a little bit of application as well from this text. Just as we reflect upon um, this time of uh, practicing the Lord's Supper together. So let's do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that is written and um, even how strongly it's written because it just reminds us how important getting the gospel right is. It, it lays out what the gospel is and that it is through the power and work of Jesus that we could be transformed and changed. So Lord, may we be reminded of that. Lord, may it grab a hold of us that we may put our trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so hopefully uh, if, if you um, came through those doors, you were probably handed one of those little cups of, of communion um, go ahead and, and you can start preparing for our time of communion now. They, they're kind of noisy, so you can go ahead and make the noise now. Um, what we're going to do is uh, have a time of reflection. Uh, the worship team's going to play for us, and, uh, and then we'll take communion together, and I'll lead us in that. But during our time of reflection, this is what uh, I want us to think about. Um, and it's going back to verse 16 in our passage. Um, Liz, if you want, you can just throw that one up there. It's a short, short, short section, but I think it's really powerful. God the Father was pleased to reveal his son to Paul. That word, pleased. God was pleased, overjoyed to reveal his son. Let me ask you, do you believe that about yourself? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if, if he has revealed to you the gospel, 
and you believe, do you know that it, it pleased God to do that? He's pleased to reveal his son to you. That's how much God loves you. With joy, he's given you a knowledge of salvation. So as we take communion, communion represents his death and the promise he gave through his death. This is my body broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. And I was pleased to do this work for you. I was pleased to go to the cross for you. Let's take some time and reflect upon that wonderful truth as we take communion together. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.